One thing I'll mention before we jump into this is, uh, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but if you are new to Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church within the last six months to a year, um, we're inviting you, if you'd like to stay after, uh, for a reception in the library uh, to meet the pastors and wives, kind of get to know who you are, talk a little bit about church mission and vision. So you're warmly invited to stay for that. There'll be some refreshments in there as well. There'll also be refreshments downstairs during the coffee hour, so uh, you could stay for that as well. So um, with that, let's get into things. <clears throat> he had imagined a grand courtroom with himself at the center, the plaintiff bringing his case before the Lord. The case went something like this. I'm not sure about the Lord's policies of justice on earth. Sometimes they seem a little bit slow. It doesn't make much sense to me to punish or afflict righteous people that are, that are just trying to follow you. He's rehearsed this over and over. He's had three friends to bounce all these ideas off of. And although they didn't listen to him, he is sure that he has an airtight case. He imagines the heavenly council off to the side, listening and hanging on his every word. He imagines this audience with the Almighty. Maybe he even has a glorious advocate in that corner who will speak on his behalf. His Redeemer. But it doesn't go like that. There is no courtroom. Instead, there's a whirlwind. A fierce whirlwind that, I don't know, I think probably puts him a little bit off balance. And out of the whirlwind, he hears a voice. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And suddenly he realizes he is not meeting God on his terms. He's meeting God on God's terms. And God's first statement, who is this that darkens counsel, is this idea. Now, don't get me wrong here. Job is still the righteous man he has been from the beginning of Job and before. That God spoke, who is like Job in all the earth with this with his righteousness. This is the same Job. It's a Job that said a lot of true things about God throughout all of his speeches we've been looking at. But he's had moments where he has questioned God's justice, where he has wondered if this is the way the world is supposed to be, is God doing what God is supposed to do? Is God doing what I would have him do? Does God do what makes sense? And in that, God calls him out during the whirlwind and says, you are darkening my counsel. You have taken truth and you've darkened it somewhat. And again, it's not everything Job has said. Job has said so many true things. But he said some things that are a little bit off. Some things that he really, truly did not have knowledge for. That's intense, though. You know, for a suffering man, a man in pain, to hear God say that, I think would be, it's a little bit intense. But God goes on, and the next statement he makes is uh, this. Gird up your loins like a man. Now, men, 
Do you know how to gird up your loins? Did your mother help you with this when you were growing up? Maybe not. Uh, so this is how you do it. I just want you to know. This is how you do it. You take your robe. Maybe that would be your bathrobe. And you know what? I was going to have Elder Bill Miller demonstrate. Can I have you come? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> never mind. Um, you hoist the tunic up in, in step two there so it's touching your knees. You're gathering the material in the front of you, and then you're pulling it behind you in that bottom left corner, kind of like a diaper. Okay? Then you gather the material and you tie it around the front of you, and in a sense, you make a pair of shorts. That's what you're doing, okay? And, and then you're ready. And notice, notice the weapon in the man's hand. The reason you would gird up your loins is really two reasons. One is you've got some heavy labor to do, and you need to be able to move to, to get the work done. Or two, like this picture shows, you're going into battle and you need mobility to fight, okay? Now, I know that's funny, but for Job to hear this from God, think about this. Gird up your loins like a man. It's like God is saying, I'm ready to fight round one. It's like God is saying in 21st century uh, language, put on your man pants, you know? Man up, it's go time. It's go time. Man pants really works, I think, here because of the, the girding. and I think that works, right? Yeah. Um, if it was written today, that's totally what he would have said. This is, this is an intense statement, okay? I mean, it's funny to think about, and now you know how to gird yourself, but, 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 but still, the, the issue is, God is saying it. Are you ready to fight? Are you ready for intense labor? Okay, here we go. Um, and then he says, I will ask you, and you will instruct me. I will ask you, I will question you, and you will make it known to me. What God is saying is, Job, you've said a lot of things about me and about my ways. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little activity. I'm going to ask you questions, and you're going to tell me the answer to my questions. You're going to instruct me on how things actually should be run, because you know so much. What does God say next? Would you turn in your Bibles to Job? Job chapter 40. I'm sorry, we'll back up just a little bit there. 39, 38, let's go 38. Job 38. Job chapter 38. And I'm going to read this all the way through, so you kind of get a feel for where this is going. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. You will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand, if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? 
or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the, from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, and have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? And where is the east wind scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way, to br- a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is? On the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and the desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone. The face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on earth? Can you lift your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie wait in the thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? You notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say to Job, this is why you suffered. Let me tell you why. Let me give you reasons. And in truth, if you think about it long enough, I don't even think we know the reasons Job suffered. I mean the actual reasons. I know about Satan talking to God and, 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 and challenging God. You know, Job serves you just because you give him stuff. I know about that. I, I know the background narrative. But like, why did God bring up Job in the first place to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? I don't know. We don't know. And so God never gives reasons for the suffering that Job goes through. And yet what he does give him is all of these interesting statements about the earth, about creation. Do you remember the last time you heard about creation? Well, maybe, maybe a few times before that. Remember in Job chapter 3, 
when Job gave a curse on the day of his birth. Remember that one, that, that message? Where he basically cursed the day he was born or the day he was conceived and kind of wished that it would be darkness. It was kind of like he wanted to reverse the original creation. God says, let there be light. Job says, let there be darkness. That was Job 3. And God meets him here at the point of his lament. Did you see that? God meets him at the point of his lament. God, may my day be uncreated. And God says, let me tell you about creation. And some of the things you don't know. Now, I used to read this and think, this is an incredible um, statement in zoology, biology, geology, and a bunch of other ologies. It's a great science statement, even though it's not meant to teach science necessarily. It's poetic in its language, if you didn't notice. But, but it's a statement of God knows science. And that's how I used to read it. But I don't think it's supposed to be generally just a statement about science. I think there's lessons in how God governs the world. And over and over again, he's saying to Job, do you know? Do you know how the morning works? Do you know how the rain works? Do you know how the lightning works? Were you there when I made everything? Do you know? Were you there? Can you do this? And the answer over and over again to these rhetorical questions, if you were to answer them, would be no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe this is the human problem. Maybe this is your problem. I'm certainly my problem at times. Maybe our problem is this, that we think we do know. That we're knowledgeable enough, we're scientific enough, we're smart enough, we're loving enough, we're compassionate enough, we're just enough, that if we were given the reins of the world, we could do a better job than God. Have you asked yourself how a good God could allow evil? If God is a God of love, why did he allow this tragedy to befall me? If God loves me, why does he let me suffer with this? And it's one thing to ask those questions. It's another thing to take the next step and say, I think I could do better. I think I would do differently if I was in God's spot. And when you take that second step beyond lament into I could do this differently and I could do this better because I understand love. I know love. And I know justice. And I know mercy. And nobody forgives like me. When, when you take that second step into a place where only God can dwell, you've set yourself up to be Him. And all of these questions in the text are designed to cause you to say, no, I don't know as much as I thought I did. What kind of things... Does Job not know? Let me give you a few. Things we don't know. Would you look at verse 7? God is talking about creating the world. So in 38.7, he talks about the morning stars singing together and all the sons of God shouting for joy when the world was made. Were you there When God made the world. Did you hear the angels, the morning stars, sing for joy when the world was created? And the answer is no, I wasn't there. I didn't didn't hear the incredible outburst of exaltation, joy, and glory given to God 
when he said, let there be light and let there be plants and let there be human beings. I wasn't there to see how the angels reacted or or putting their hands over their mouths or gasping or praising or glory to God in the highest. Holy, holy, holy. I don't know what they said at that time, but God heard it. So can we say this? There is incredible joy in the original creation of the world. And you all still get echoes of it today. We get echoes of it. When you go walking in the woods, when you get out on the lake, when you, when you, when you see the snow falling on the trees, you're getting all of these incredible echoes of the beauty of the original creation. Can you appreciate creation even when you suffer? Can you do what Philippians says, tells us to do and think on what is pure, right, noble, and all those other, all those other lists of superlatives? Can, can you think of, can you look at the world and say, my life is so hard right now, but I still see beauty. And I still know why the angels sang when they saw all of this for the first time. I'm not singing about the smog. I'm singing about the splendor of the mountains. Because God made them. There's great joy in the original creation. Uh, secondly, if you would look at 8 through 11 with me. God says, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garment or thick darkness its swaddling band. Uh, jump down to verse 11. God says, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. And I think what he's getting at there is that God, when God created the world, he called it good. Like you learned, a lot of you learned that in Sunday school. God said it was good. And one of the things that good refers to is it's ordered. Earth has an order to it. The world has a structure to it. And God said the waves can only come this far. You notice a tidal wave has never taken out the United States. It's never happened. It's not designed to do that. You notice that we're not close enough to the sun that we all burn to a crisp every summer. And we're not far enough that we don't have a full ice age in, in Wisconsin every winter. You know, it, it, it just doesn't do that because God didn't make it to do that. Other planets are inhospitable to life. But life on earth works in spite of earthquakes, in spite of the volcanoes in Hawaii and all the stuff that goes on, in spite of the loss of life from hurricanes, life can still function on earth. There's still order here. And the reason you're sitting here is because there's still order here on earth. Life is hospitable. The earth is hospitable to life. And God says, I did that. And one day, we'll be able to see what earth would be like without all the natural disasters, the new heavens and the new earth. But think about how it was in the beginning. And think about the order God continued on, even through the curse. You enjoy it. I enjoy it. That's not to take away from disasters. Um, Look at 12 through 15. Something else we don't fully understand. Job has made a lot of comments about God not dealing with the evil the way he should. Here's what God has to say about that. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth? 
and the wicked be shaken out of it. I love that picture of shaking a garment and the wicked people are like falling out of it. You know, it is, it's, it's poetic language. Don't, don't take it literally, please. It's changed like clay under the seal. Its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld. Their uplifted arm is broken. And God says to Job, do you, do you even understand all the things that I do to oppose evil people? Do you know what this world would be like if God took his hands off and let evil really go? Now, I, I know there's wickedness and evil and all sort, and they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors, you know? From physical violence to sexual abuse to all of that. It's all terrible. And it happens, and God doesn't stop every one of them from happening. I know this. But he does stop a lot. And we have no idea how bad it would be if he didn't stop what he stops. Okay? We don't know how bad this world would be. And so we do stand back and go, God, you do shake the wicked out. You do cause criminals to be found out. You do cause the truth to, be, to come out about people. And praise God. For that, although I don't understand how he chooses and how he does it, I know that he does. Because he tells me right here. He's breaking the arm of the wicked. I just pray, and we can pray that it just happens more often. Call out to him for justice as he tells us to. Number four, if you look at 19 through 21, something else we don't fully grasp. Where's the way to the dwelling of light and where's the place of darkness that you may take to its territory and you may discern the path to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I've reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and the day of war? Um, fourthly. I don't think we fully understand, you know, that dwelling of light, dwelling of darkness, um, using, using different, um, I feel like my verses don't match where I was going with that, but um, God reserves, here we are, God reserves the snow and the hail for times of trouble. He, he sees what's coming ahead of us in history. He knows what's going to happen. He's ready. He's prepared for it. Let me say this fourthly. I don't, I don't think we understand history from the perspective of eternity. Like, what would it be like to be outside of time and know that this battle will be fought then and I've got snow, I've got hail ready to stop this bad thing from happening? We have no idea. What would it be like to be outside of time? God knows what that's like. Fifthly, this was interesting. I couldn't resist putting it in here because it was just a funny thing to think about. Um, verse 39 can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? I mean, here, it's like, I don't understand how God provides for predators, you know, animal, animal kingdom predators, right? I, I, I don't get that. Why did God make mosquitoes? I have no idea. No idea. I kill them and God made them. Does that make me? I, I don't know. What does that make us? I don't know. Um... There's creatures I don't understand. I don't want to meet a lion in the wild. I've had the, you know, that, that's almost, that's happened to us almost before, you know, in our backyard in, in Uganda, you know, but that, that, um, I don't want to meet one for real in the wild. 
these are predators. These are killers, right? You put them in a zoo and you're okay, but otherwise I don't want to meet one face to face. And yet God provides for them. How is it that God even provides for the wicked? For the evil person? How does that work? Why, why did they have enough to eat today when an innocent person does not? When a child does not? I, I don't understand that, and yet God says, I provide for lions. This is what I do. He says all this to Job, and I think I, at this point, I mean, I could go on, but I think I'd rather just give you a summary of what God is doing here, what, what, I, what I see God doing here. God is saying to Job, you don't understand the deep wisdom by which I rule the world. God is saying, if you knew everything I knew about the world, you would do the same thing. You do the same thing I'm doing. You may think you would do different, but you would not if you knew everything I knew. The depth of my wisdom is great, and you cannot comprehend it. And in that, I don't see an answer to why Job suffered. And if you want to look at Job's response, if you would turn to chapter 40 with me and check this out, um, this is Job's response to that. Chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord said to Job, Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job's response is to put his hand over his mouth. Um, he's silent. He is, even as we just sang, it, it, it's, that, it's that verse, be still and know that I am God. Be still. You don't have to give an answer. You don't have to know why. You can't rule better than God. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be full of pride. You can ask your philosophical questions. You can try to get answers to those questions. But don't be arrogant before the Lord. Let me say this in closing then. Um, I think the most comforting thing, I mean, you kind of read this and you go, wow, God is like, this is intense. God has really given it to Job. But I think there's also beauty and gentleness in God's statement here. He's going to say more, by the way, which we're going to get to in two weeks. Um, can I say it like this? We don't know why, but we do know God. I don't have to know why if I know the one that has deep wisdom. The one that is love. The one that is justice. The one that rules appropriately. I don't have to know why if I know him. And I trust him. And I love him. I, I said at the beginning, I said at the beginning that God and Job meet not in a courtroom. Job doesn't meet with God on his terms. He meets on God's terms. You notice that? If you remember me saying that. Can I... Can I add to that one other statement, though? Today I am thankful that Jesus Christ met us on our terms. That he came here. That he suffered the mockery and the pain and the incredible cruelty and injustice of the cross. 
right? That wasn't the whirlwind meeting. And it wasn't the courtroom. It was the cross. And so, if I'm talking to somebody about this, I, I don't expect to meet God in a whirlwind. I expect to meet Jesus at the cross in his humanity and his deity and his great love for me. And when I see him there, I know I can trust him. I know I can trust his wisdom. Because he's been where you are. He's been there. Worship team, would you come up? Let me pray. Lord, we... uh We thank you for the Lord Jesus and meeting him even in the pain, even in the sorrow, and knowing that upon meeting Christ and seeing his pain, his sorrow, his agony, taking hell for us, that I can trust you with anything, that you understand the frailty of the human condition. Do you understand what it means to be taken advantage of by evil, wicked people? To be, to be in the hands of the cruel and the unjust. And to suffer burning pain in all of it. Thank you for identifying with us. Thank you for meeting with us on this earth. For walking amongst your people. And even being subject to their violence. God, that is beyond me. That is beyond my comprehension. Other than to be able to say, you love us. You love me. Thank you. May we respond appropriately as your people. In whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. In Jesus' name. Amen.